you are and who you're, um, and what your culture's about. I want you to imagine that Joseph is uh, uh, just someone that, that, that's almost like a celebrity in your life because of the significance he has. And, and of course, King David, this man uh, uh, that took Israel into a, a new realm of dominion and rule. And I want you now to uh, remember and think of the promises made to Abraham. All the promises that God said to Abraham about the future of his people. I want you to remember the ascendancy of Joseph. How he went from being a slave and in prison to prime minister of the dominant power of the time. I want you to remember how he felt that there was a, um, that, that there was a purpose on his life that even evil could not disrupt. I want you to consider the wonders of Moses and the direction God took this man who was an exile from his people and made him into their very leader. And I want you to remember the victories of David, how he trounced tribe and nation again and again so that Israel could find its place in the Middle East. Each of these heroes that we read about in the Old Testament... Each of their stories, they reveal to us something about who God is. And two and a half thousand years ago, if you were a Jew living uh, in the Middle East, they were as part of your identity as your own bodies, as your immediate family. You would have been indoctrinated and they would have become familiar to you as uh, children's nursery rhymes uh, and uh, sort of uh, uh, other histories that we know today. I want you to imagine two and a half thousand years ago that the land you tread is part of your destiny. That the, the very physical contours of the mountains were part of God's promise to you. That as you live out your daily life with the Jews, as you live out your daily lives with the community that God has put around you, all of this is starting to be the fulfilment of those ancient prophecies, of those patriarchs and the words that they spoke. I want you to think of all the words that God spoke over Israel over the centuries before. He said, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Your nations will serve you and people will bow down to you. I will bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I will never leave you. Take the Lord your God is, uh, take the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I will make the nations your inheritance. The uh, Jewish understanding of who they were, who their God was, what their religion was about and their land was in, like just so tightly bound up that you couldn't divide the, uh, one from the other. And as you breathe in this religious, rich religious heritage, I want you to feel the impact of this next bit of history. I want you to allow yourselves to be undone as something inconceivable happens. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 39 and it says this. Verse 1. This is how Jerusalem was taken. These words are unimaginable. For the people of Abraham, Isaac, 
This is how Jerusalem was taken. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army and laid siege to it. And on the ninth day, the fourth month of Zedekiah's eleventh year, the city walls were broken through. Then all the officials of the king of Babylon came and took seats in the middle gate. Nurgle Shereza of Samgar, Nebo Saskim, a chief officer, Nurgle Shereza, a high official, and all the other officials of the king of Babylon. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled. They left the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls and headed towards Araba. But the Babylonians pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho, then captured them and took them to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, at the land of Hamath. And here he pronounced sentence on him. There at Riblah, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. These were the ones that were inherit the land. These were the ones that were going to take the nation forward. And he also killed all the nobles of Judah. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with the bronze shackles uh, to take him to Babylon. The Babylonians set fire to the royal palace and the houses of, of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. I'm going to leave it there. You're in the land of milk and honey. You had, had prophecies spoken over you that would have delighted your heart. You had Abraham and Isaac and David's assurance that your people were going to grow and bless the whole earth. You had an assurance of who you are, who your God was and where you were going that just made you confident and hopeful of the future. And then this passage in Jeremiah hits you between the eyes. These are adulterous Gentiles who indulge in unspeakable practices and they have invaded the very city of God. They have seated themselves in the revered places, the places where godly men and women uh, should have taken charge. They have humiliated the king of Israel, this faithful leader that's supposed to lead you into the future with God's promises there. They have uh, put his eyes out. They have killed his children. They have wrecked the holy and royal places and have exiled the rich, the leaders and the priests. Anyone that was going to be anything in society has been taken out of Jerusalem and uh, uh, put into exile in Babylon. I really hope as you um, consider these things that you can feel the confusion that rose in the Jewish hearts, that you could feel the panic and despair and doubt. What about our history? What about the Torah? What about all these words that God has spoken out over us? And we have been desecrated by Babylon. Thousands of years of faithful teaching, thousands of years of careful keeping of history, thousands of years of teaching the children what they should look forward to and suddenly Babylon comes and uh, seems to wipe it out. Identity and faith is gone. Who am I? What am I doing? Where is God? Is he even there? Has he abandoned us? Is everything I believed in a lie? Is the Torah nonsense? This morning, each of us will have informed impressions 
about our lives. We have lived so many years and we will have told ourselves a story about it, how we've made the decisions and what our priorities and values are and how we've got to this place. Some of us will have seen God's hand in our lives. You know, moments where he seems close, moments where he seems to have been involved. And we'll have seen places perhaps where he's been a little bit quiet. There are moments where we make massive decisions and they've been watershed moments for the paths that we've taken. What job? What profession? What partner? Whether to have children, where to live? And all of us will have had these uh, uh, moments in our lives that we put together as a story. And we have these stories that we tell each other about who we are and why we have ended up in the place that we are. Now some of us may have seen just a steady progression of God's grace and mercy and promises. You know, life has just been one unending blessing where uh, each day seems to be better than the next. And faith and hope in our hearts have just, uh, has just been natural and ever increasing. And if that is your experience, God bless you. What an enchanted life you lead. But it is more likely that your story is not like that. It is more likely that your story is a little different. It is more likely that you may have flashes of divine intervention, but also prolonged times where nothing makes sense, where there's, lone, where there's only loss and despair, where the question on your lips is not what next adventure God is, but where are you, God? I thought you were supposed to be at work in this. This morning's study, as we look at another question God asks, it is not for you who've had a blessed and fortunate life, who have only seen good things happen, where your story is just ascending the mountain of God and getting closer and closer to his presence. This uh, talk this morning is for those who've had ups and downs, whose perhaps valleys appear deeper than the mountain peaks. So after Jeremiah, there is um, a priest called Ezekiel. And he grew up in Israel. He grew up in that fortunate position of being uh, uh, a leader of the faith. But he is taken in exile to Babylon. He is part of that group of people that are sent out of God's promised land into a place of idolatry, into a place of sin, into a place of godlessness. And he is forced each and every day to live in a strange land where he doesn't speak the language, where the customs are foreign, where the beliefs uh, and, and religions are uh, completely foreign to him. They're, 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 he's completely at sea. He, he's got nothing to ground him. 
And each day he's reminded that his people have lost this land, this land that was promised by God, this land that Abraham and Isaac and uh, uh, Jacob and all these guys, that they, they, all these promises that flowed through the generations, all of that is kind of abruptly halted. There's that feeling of loss. There's that feeling of wilderness. There's that feeling of despair. He's supposed to be a priest of Yahweh. But he has seen his nation defeated by Babylon. He's seen Yahweh apparently defeated by the gods of Babylon. He's a priest. He's supposed to lead people into God's presence. And yet, what is his God? Is his God even there? Is he not a joke? Is this not priest Ezekiel a relic? Something irrelevant now. You know, the gods of Babylon are on the ascendancy and Yahweh, he's got no one. He's got no land. He's got no people. Is this Ezekiel a fool? And then, and then something beautiful happens. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. So it's the next book along. It says this in Ezekiel 37 verse 1. In, uh, it's got to be one of the most compelling and uplifting scenes in the whole of Scripture. It says this in uh, Ezekiel 37 verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me. So this is a priest in exile in Babylon where he's questioning everything. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor. On the floor of the valley. And the bones were very dry. Everyone say dry. dry. They were very dry. And he, asked, and he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then God said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the Lord this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will make breath enter you and you will come to life I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord everyone say will because it appears there a lot and there's that sense of compulsion and inevitability and verse 7 so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying there was a noise and it sounded like Tully's farm or Fisher's farm Halloween because there was a rattling sound and the bones were rattling and the bones came together and bone to bone and I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them yet and then God said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign Lord says come breathe from the four winds breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded and the breath entered them and they came to life and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Everyone say army. army. 
army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. I wonder if that's how you feel this morning. My bones are dried up. My hope is gone. I am cut off. He goes on. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you out from them. I'm going to bring you back to that land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And I'm going to put my spirit in you and you're going to live and I'm going to, you're going to settle in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is a priest called Ezekiel. He found himself in a place of sadness that he never wanted to be. He couldn't even imagine that land of milk and honey being desecrated by the Babylonians. And yet he was exiled from it serving a people that had no apparent hope whatsoever. And he's taken by the Holy Spirit in this vision. And he's taken to a new landscape. Not Babylon, not Israel, but he's taken to a new landscape. And it is this natural basin. And there is a vast plain, which means you can see for a long way. And at the very edges, at the contours, they come up. And they curve gently upwards to the ranges of mountains and hills surround them. And we're told that this vast plain, this, we're told that this natural basin is full of bones. The bones cover the land as far as the eye can see. God needs, to, needs Ezekiel to know this. And so he takes Ezekiel backwards and forwards just to see how many bones there are. Just so that Ezekiel can see the magnitude of the problem. And these bones are dry. It's not a euphemism for a body that's half awake. These bones are desiccated and dry. The wind has picked them clean. There is nothing left of life in them. They are uh, uh, basically carbon deposits. There is no life. These bones are almost emblematic of what it looks like to be dead. And all there is is just that faint memory of a people who once could move and breathe and live. And then in that place of desiccation and death and dryness, God asks just one question. He asks, can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel, in the promised land, when he had all his priestly garb and he was uh, loved by the people and led them into God's presence and saw great things, perhaps he would say, answer a little bit more hopefully, but he is in exile. He has seen no good thing for a long time. And he answers rather forlornly. I mean, he does well just to get this out. And he goes, well, you are known God. He doesn't say, yes and amen, hallelujah, let's take this lamb for the Lord. He goes, well, you might know God because that's about as good as answer I'm going to give. Ezekiel can't see any sign of hope. There isn't any. They're just bones dry, drying on the uh, valley floor. 
But he does remember. He does remember the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He does remember the stories of Joseph. He does remember the stories of David and Solomon. He does remember that while he can't see anything good, while everything just seems dry and uh, hopeless, that his God has a habit of doing outlandish things. His God has a habit of rescuing stuff when it seems that there is no hope of rescue. He remembers the stories of his youth. He's never seen a miracle, Ezekiel. He's only seen the opposite of a miracle. He's only seen his people taken to exile. But he remembers the stories of his youth. And there's this faint flicker of faith in his heart. And so he says, you, God, know. And God replies to this faint flicker of faith. He says, you need to speak out. What a useless thing that is. Some guy speaking to a bunch of dry bones. What a pointless exercise. What an exercise in futility. Ezekiel is to pronounce God's word to these dry bones. And God says, breath's going to come. And it's delightfully gruesome. A sort of uh, young kid in me just is thrilled with the image that we're presented with. Ezekiel prophesies. He, he says the word of the God and the dry bones rattle. The dry bones move about. The dry bones kind of sentiently join each other and start to make out uh, 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 bodies. Just imagine the sound. The, the natural uh, basin would allow the echoes to resound as bones come together. Bones come together. All the right joints find each other. This valley that was spread eagled with different shapes and sizes uh, of skulls and uh, uh, bones. They suddenly join together. There's a sense of something coming and as Ezekiel looks he finds the desiccated skeletons not only forming on the valley floor but start to have tendons and flesh out of nowhere these skeletons start to have blood and skin develop on them fantastic image to look upon and suddenly what was an assorted bunch of bones that you could not tell what was what suddenly you can recognize human forms suddenly you can see humans amongst all um, all the desert and so you have these bodies form after Ezekiel's prophesied but that is not enough the bodies look human. You know, you can recognise faces and hands and feet. But that's not enough. There's no animation or vitality. There's nothing going on. They're still living lifeless there. And 
We have this strange way we go where God says, no, you need to do it again. Ezekiel, you need to prophesy again. You need to speak to the breath. And so Ezekiel speaks to the breath and we find the rushing wind comes. Oh, uh, uh, first you have the sound of the bones rattling together and now the sound of breath. A terrible wind fills the valley and the breath from this wind fills each and everybody, no body is left behind. No one is uh, 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 below this blessing of God. And suddenly, this vast army of bones becomes a standing army, living and breathing. And it is arisen in the valley. And once where there was death and defeat, now there is life and light. And this contrast is deliberate and startling, and it should be exhilarating. And God says, this vision I've given you, this vision of bones becoming an army, that is your people Israel. This people that are in exile, that have no hope, that wonder about me, that wonder about the future, that wonder if it was all pointless and worthless. This vision is for them. Your people, Ezekiel, may look dead and buried. You may feel like an idiot being a priest for a people that don't even have a land. But I promise to raise them up again. I promise that my blessings will come again. I promise you will find your way back to that place of milk and honey. I promise that you will live on, not just knowing about me, but my spirit will fill you. You will have the knowledge of God in your hearts. And so this prophecy is left with Ezekiel. Seventy years after Israel was taken into Babylon, the Jews were allowed back into their land. Seventy years later, they would rebuild those walls that were torn down by these godless Gentiles. 70 years later, uh, they would rebuild the temple. 70 years later, they would see this prophecy of dry bones turned into a standing army start to be uh, uh, answered. This morning, some of us may be confronted by a landscape of bones in our lives. Some of us may look at how we're living and, and feel a sense of hopelessness and despair. We feel we've had promises spoken over us and they've come to nothing. We feel that scripture says one thing about faith and yet we don't experience it. Some of us may look over our lives and recognise poor choices and decisions that have led us to loss and isolation, where suddenly we have tried to make the best decisions and we have just ended up somewhere dry and desiccated and desolate. Others of us may have lived faithful lives. You know, we have done what we thought scripture says, we have followed the advice of every preacher that we've watched on YouTube and heard on podcasts and uh, 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 heard on a Sunday morning. But 
We've seen circumstances rob our futures of delight and comfort. We've seen other people betray us. We've seen our own health uh, seemingly robbers of where we thought we were going. There are all these things that seem to conspire against us. Whatever signs of exhausted life we see, God asks us this morning, I believe, he says, can these bones live? Can this place of desolation and loneliness, can this place of uh, decay and death where there seems no future, can the bones of this live? And if you're really stuck in a bad place, you'd be like, no, uh, surely not. Uh, no hope there, God, try somewhere else. But God looks at our situations, at our lives, at our futures, and goes, yes, there's only one answer. Of course, these bones can live. I'm here. I'm the giver of life. I was the one that formed the earth in the first place. My spirit was hovering over the surface of the Lord when it was all chaos. My spirit can do anything. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, reflects on this a little bit. If you've got a Bible, turn to the last reading of today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you to hear the, the tension in these words, this battling with the current circumstances and future hope, of the questions of the, can these bones live? And it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. He goes, we know that's coming. We know we have a future. Meanwhile, we groan. Everyone say groan. groan. We groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Life is hard. Paul knows that toothache's rubbish, that taxes are painful, that uh, your leaky roof is just a pain in the neck. We groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. But there's no leaky roofs or taxes or toothache. Can I have a hallelujah? Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, these mortal bodies, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be by putting his spirit in you as a deposit. It's guaranteeing. The Holy Spirit in you is guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body and we're away from the Lord. And this is a reality. This is a reality that Ezekiel had to live with. For we live by faith and not by sight. Most of us in this room this, this morning live by faith and not by sight. We live uh, with a hope of what God's going to do without a guarantee of it. 
We haven't seen Jesus, but we believe in him, as I read at the beginning of the meeting. And we are confident, I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal. Please him, wherever we're at home in the body or away. For we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, good or bad. And Paul's reflecting on this issue of us living in between times. Jesus has come. He died on the cross and rose again and the victory is assured, but it hasn't quite happened. And so we live with this, I believe in Jesus, especially on a Sunday when I'm singing uplifting songs and a preacher's telling me to be happy. Believe that and then Monday morning comes and it all comes crashing down and I'm not even sure if I believe there's a God. This is a groaning that is common to mankind. To be on earth is to wrestle with sin and death on a daily basis. And these are all groaning that everyone lives with. But it is a phase. It is a passing phase. It's interesting that Israel was uh, in exile for sort of 70 years and then it came out. And you and I, well, I mean, the national uh, expected age is probably over 70. Uh, but you and I, we're going to live in exile, you know, before we get to meet Jesus, before we are repatriated. We're living in exile for a number of years, for this life on earth. And we live with that tension with, I want that future to come. And so as I close, I want us to have hope. I want us to have hope that, yes, these bones can live. Whatever situation you're in, those bones can live. There is nothing unredeemable. There is nothing unrescuable. There is nothing that God cannot intervene with and bring life to. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the, on the fact that God wins. Death doesn't win, decay doesn't win, desiccation doesn't win, hopelessness doesn't win, loneliness doesn't win. God wins. Life wins. Life wins to such an extent that it swallows up everything else. This life coming, this eternity that we're on the edge of is going to come and just sweep everything up. It's going to be the, like the wind in that valley where it's just going to excite everything around and nothing will be able to be dead in his presence because it will just breathe life into it. And so this eternity that we're on the precipice of, it's coming and we can have hope And so that is the simple message this morning. These bones can live. 
There is hope. There is hope in your personal situation. And there is hope in the longer story, the longer narrative of salvation. That Jesus died on the cross so that you might live, not just a little bit, not that you might get by, but that you might enjoy the full purposes of God for eternity in a way that is exciting, that is a way that is liberating, and in a way that it just uh, uh, fills you full of joy. This morning, I can't guarantee that your arthritis is going to go. I can't guarantee uh, that your uh, sort of uh, um, universal credit is not going to get knocked. I can't guarantee that uh, that um, leak in your house is not going to happen. But I can guarantee that God is in all those different situations, that these things are not divorced from his purposes, and that ultimately... Uh, these things all pave a way for God, his victory and eternal life. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the answer to can these bones live is yes. And Lord God, I pray for myself and everyone here this morning that we would see the reality of that. God, I pray that you would secure in our hearts hope for the future. That, Lord God, we wouldn't be knocked by circumstances into distrusting you or disbelieving. But, Lord God, that we would know uh, that by hanging on to you, we are hanging on to a sure and certain thing. And Lord God, I just pray for people's personal situations, particular scenarios in our lives that seem dry and lifeless and desiccated. Lord God, we pray for life in those things. God, we pray that you would do uh, amazing things, that you would bring life into situations where there appears no hope of it. And Lord God, more importantly, I pray that we would foster in ourselves a hope for eternity that lord god we wouldn't make sure that our happiness is something dependent on earth but it is something that we look forward to uh, in the future that, that we would have a longing for eternity that we would realize that these groans about all these circumstances they are transitory and that we look forward to an eternity with you and that is where our treasures should be Lord God, I pray this over us all in Jesus' name. Amen.